Ah, ah, I wanna pee where the people are. I wanna pee, wanna pee while standing, <laughs> walking around on those. What do you call them? Oh, feet. Spinning your wheels don't get you far. Legs are required for upright urination. <laughs> we cannot walk. We cannot run. Being able-bodied sounds fun. Wish I could be upright to pee. <laughs> oh, well, I can't. I thought you were going to say out of my seat. Uh, out of my seat would be good. What are you doing? Are you setting things up? You're moving your face. Yeah, yeah. Just getting all the levels and stuff. Oh, you didn't even record any of that? Oh, yeah, it is recording. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tricked myself. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> all right, how's it going? Let's talk about how you didn't know how, what kind of wheelchair you had until four seconds ago. Well, okay, firstly, that's not fair. Okay, I'm sorry. Six seconds ago. <laughs> I, my uncle started a project to build a chair, like a power chair, because he went to the dump, the local dump in Thunder Bay, and he like found um, a quantum power chair base, and he, he like lugged it home. And then he like took the cab off of the base and he's like, I want to try to get a bucket seat on here from a motor vehicle. And then I want to see if I, if Jamie and I can interface with the API of your standard, standard quantum joystick and get it, get it to control the, you know, configuration of the bucket seat as well as drive the chair proficiently. And so he wants to start this pet project that we can work on over the winter. I had cracked up, cracked out the, or broke out the manual for my power chair, my current power chair. And we were trying to figure out what the specs were and what peripherals we might need to, to tap into the joystick and blah, 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 blah. Uh, we also had a call with you because what you do professionally is you consult with disabled people and try to help them optimize their environments for accessibility purposes, as well as recommend them tools that improve their lives. Cause you, you generally know about that shit and that is what makes you a consummate professional. Blah, blah, blah. I thought that I drove a, a, a permobility chair like you do. First of all, there's no such thing as a permobility chair. Okay. Well, what is the, what is the brand of chair? Permobile. <laughs> Oh, so you're being phonetically finicky with me right now? Yeah, because you said consummate. Oh, well, fuck. Okay, fine. I'll stop using $10 words incorrectly. No, no, no. I want $20 words. $20 words? Yeah. What is the 20th dollar word you have? The 20th dollar word that I have? Yeah. Like that you could throw into a sentence, not like anti-disestablishmentarianism or like whatever. What about synecdoche? That's a good word because it's hard to spell. Nobody yeah. says it's going to end in an E. Yeah. But What about that word? Fine. Okay. Permobility <laughs> wheelchair. Continue. Permobile chair. Whatever the fuck. I thought I had a chair that I didn't have and you and I were somewhat in a tiff. When I was trying to tell you what kind of joystick I have on my chair. Well, I was just confused because, yeah, you were trying to tell me what kind of joystick. And I was like, well, that type of joystick is not a permobile joystick. 
And your your type of wheelchair, like the base, it, it would have been like if someone's like, yeah, I'm driving a Honda, and it clearly looks like a Toyota. Right, right, right. It, I was saying that I had a square peg inside of a round hole, and you're like, excuse me, that don't make no sense. But the but the dial on my on my power chair joystick is like broken or or it's like warped because it's only a cheap piece of plastic, and so when I try to flick it off because it's because it's off center, it doesn't quite trigger properly, and so I can't turn off my joystick. I have to sit and wait for it to turn off, and it only tells me what brand of joystick it is when I turn it on. Right. And this morning, I remembered to look at the joystick when I turned it on, and it turns out that I drive a quantum chair, but the, <laughs> the name underneath when it boots up, it's like www.pridemobility.com. Yeah. So I, I confuse pride mobility with permobile. Right. Yeah. So fuck off, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy mistake to make if you're blind. <laughs> no, no, that's fair. I mean, obviously you don't have, that's what I do. It's, I know this stuff fairly well. So I don't actually expect you to know it that as well as I do, but it's fun to make fun of you for that. Yeah. Can I say something? Can I confess to something? Yeah. Like I have a general ignorance of hardware in general. Like I have an aversion to like, for example, home renovation projects or like, you know, what it takes to woodwork or whatever, Mm. because I have a general resentment toward like woodworking tools and or like hammers and nails and stuff because it requires like fine motor skills and strength and then i've been spoiled by software for years and years because if you fuck up with software if you write the wrong line of code you just delete it and rewrite the correct one there's some flexibility in terms of being able to experiment and like tinker and fuck up So I I have a natural aversion to hardware and therefore I'm somewhat ignorant of it. And so despite that I'm supposedly technically minded or I have been accused of that, like throughout my life, I really do not care about like what's going on in the inner workings of my chair. Mm -hmm. I care about it for sake of my uncle because he gives a fuck. And because I know when he commits to a a particular project and he, he wants to invoke my software skills to like help him toward that end, I will do it. But it's, it's more for the, for the chance to work with somebody I respect rather than like, like, Ooh, I really do give a fuck how my chair works like i don't really care yeah to be honest i'm i'm so the opposite like i when i'm working i'll have a video on in the background of some guy like building a tv console out of wood really i just like understanding how the tools work i like knowing how things go together okay so you're a huge nerd so that's cool Yeah, yeah 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 I mean, I respect that. And I, I, when I say I respect that, I mean it. I'm not being cheeky. And like, yeah, I mean, it obviously, it's obviously served you well because you've become kind of like a de facto authority on power chair hardware, even among your disabled friends. Um, and no one ever really questions or doubts you on that front, which means something. I think just because I'm interested, even if it's just like, how can I put a cup holder on my wheelchair? <laughs> I like thinking about, you know, like, okay, what size screw would we have to use? You know, like just even the little tiny details I enjoy obsessing over. 
I thought you were going to say like, okay, well, what do you take in your coffee? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how your cup is. <laughs> so like, uh, hold on a minute. Like, do you ever like intimidate power chair technicians or have you ever had like hostile discussions with them because you know, like, you know what's going on and they try to like short sell you or something? Mm, I don't know. I've never had a hostile discussion. Like one time I 3D printed uh, a cup holder mount that would fit into the mounting bracket on my wheelchair to to hold a cup holder. It was super nerdy, right? But yeah, then, real big time nerd stuff. Big time nerd stuff. And when I got it done, I had to get my chair serviced some other way. The, the technician came out and I was talking to him about the cup holder and he was super into it because he was like, oh, you know, this is so cool that you found a way to 3D print it. He like took pictures of it and sent it to his coworkers. He was really into it. Damn, he was like, you could hold my cup any day. <laughs> he definitely didn't say that. And I don't think that was ever implied. <laughs> I don't think there was any sexual overtones or undertones or tones. <laughs> Shit. No, even like uh, when I'm getting a new wheelchair... I will often go through the order form for the wheelchair, fill it out, send it to the sales guy, and be like, here, let me know if I missed anything. It's like your favorite time of the year is filling out the fucking the power chair work order and shit. It feels like I'm getting a new a new car, you know? Like, I'm going to get a new wheelchair soon, and today, I was actually just today going through uh, the order form for this chair to try to figure out. Because part of it is... You know, they fill out hundreds of these all the time uh-huh. and they're just kind of running through them like a boilerplate. And I want to make sure I'm getting whatever is best for me. So I'm going to go through that order form and see, oh, this is an option for me. I didn't even realize. Like, for example, I just found out on this chair, I paid like $1,200 for lights. And I found out on the new chair, if you get four adjustable seat options, which I will. The fifth one's free? No, then the lights are free. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I'm going to be able to get free lights. And like, you know, probably the sales guy would know that. But at least this way, I can just be like, just make sure you check off this box or whatever. That's like a weird combo deal. Yeah. Like at the fast food power chair restaurant. Well, it's because they know like the, like, for example, to get seat elevation on your chair is something like four grand or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get a second job for that shit. Yeah, exactly. Is that some kind of irony that the people with like the lift mechanics in their chair that can push them above all other people, like all other common other wheelie plebs, they have to be rich to have that feature? The taller the wheelie, the bigger the the wallet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're literally like, they're literally like up there in their power chair ivory tower. And you know how I know I made it? This current wheelchair goes up eight inches. My next wheelchair is going to go up 14 inches. Oh my God. Call Brazzers. Yeah. So that's how I know. You know, I've always wanted to see a chair like that flip over with the, with the, like the height adjustment at maximum. With me in it? No, not with you in it. I have no Scheidenfreude toward you specifically. I like how that was not your 20th dollar word. You didn't choose your Germanist word. Scheidenfreude is pretty common. It's a common term. Maybe 
in Berlin. It's like a, as common an anglicized German term as like bratwurst or something. No way. Anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell I was saying. You have Schrodinger for me falling out of my wheelchair. Not you, as I said. It just like it just looks so precarious. I just want like some part of me wants to know what that looks like. That's all. What it looks like for it to fall over. Yeah, like tip over or be driven recklessly. Like you can't imagine what it would look like. I think it would just look like someone's on like the the tip of a half of a slinky and they're just waddling around. Have you ever tipped in your chair? No, no, I have not. I've never tipped a power chair. Really? I tipped my scooter on a daily basis. And your scooter you tipped because it was three wheels. The scooter had a worse center of gravity than like I did, like standing without my walker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like every time the, t- the scooter starts to tip, you reach out and stop it with your foot. Yeah, or I had like, I had a stick that I would just pull out and like, you know, very quickly correct myself. And I only boarded the bus if I knew the bus driver. I think it's wild that you've never flipped your chair. I've flipped my chair multiple times. I don't have any like weird man boners for like dangerous levels of speed in my chair. Like I, I've, ne- I've never like gotten a new chair and been like, oh, I wonder how fast I can go down a shitty old sidewalk in this chair. Really? Yeah. I was looking at the two different chairs I was picking between and I chose the faster chair. Why? Wait, have you actually thought to yourself at maximum speed, oh, I'm going too slow right now? Yeah, 100%. First of all, like, I play hockey, right? So your wheelchair speed is an advantage. People, the faster you can go, basically the the more opportunities you have to be in the game. I mean, I guess, I mean, if you if you translate that to some sort of Rocket League analogy, then I'll appreciate what you mean. Car goes fast. I still think floor hockey is kind of dumb because of the way that some people drive and the potential to lose your fucking foot pedals. Yeah, I've broken my ankle. Yeah. But even outside of, foot, of floor hockey, even just like when I'm going downtown, I want I like to rip down the bike path at full speed. It feels nice to just have the breeze going and hitting your face, blowing through your hair. I don't know. There's something freeing about just ripping down the bike path. When I'm with someone and going for a stroll, I equally enjoy just chilling, going for a stroll along the canal. But I also really enjoy just like full throttle down the bike path. Have you ever like driven beside Jeff when he's presumably jogging? I'm always slower than their jog. Oh, yeah. So this is why you got the extra speed then, so you could keep up with the joggers at the canal? There are chairs that go a mile per hour faster than the one I'm going to get. That sounds dangerous. Like it's still, you're still maxing out at like eight and a half miles per hour, which is what, like 12 kilometers an hour? But like what, I mean, what, is some girl going to dump you because you can only go seven miles per hour? Like, what? It's not about a girl. It's just, I like the breeze in my hair. <laughs> okay. Well, can't you just get a high powered fan? <laughs> Isn't, doesn't that get free after you get some other shitty peripheral? Once you get power footrest, you get a fan. <laughs> Have you never been caught in a jam where you see like a storm rolling in and you're like, I got to book it home before this rain comes? Uh, yeah, I have. That has happened. Yeah. 
And you're never like, I wish my chair could just go a bit faster. I, of course, yeah. And I'm freaking out for sure. But like, I generally don't like to drive at, at maximum speed, like in public, because of the potential of hitting a person is real. Yeah. Like one time, one time I accidentally like almost squished an elderly lady against a door at Billings Bridge. Well, I want to hear that story from start to finish. There, there's no story. Like, I was backing up and I didn't, I checked one shoulder, but not the other. And I didn't see the lady. And I like, she told me that I was going to squish her. That's fair. I've actually been told so many times, why don't you get mirrors on that thing? It's one of those annoying comments, just like, you know, do you have underglow or can you get rims on there that spin or whatever? Yeah. But Mirrors are probably one of the more practical things you could do to your chair. So one time in a performance review at my job where I currently work, um, my like this is my second performance review. And I had an excellent boss at the time. I have a, I have a new one now. But, mm-hmm. but we kind of like got through like the performance aspect of my job that actually pertains to like, you know, my education. And then he's like, on another note, talking about health and safety and, you know, you have to go through, go over all that women's crap and like, are you aware of where all the exits are and what to do in case of a fire emergency or blood, blah, 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 blah. And then they have to go through some extra fine print, which doors are accessible and which I probably shouldn't use. And then he was talking about like, he's like a couple people have actually come into my office and mentioned that there's some really narrow pathways around the horseshoe of your like cubicle area. And so we were thinking like, we'll clear those away for you. And I was like, did someone like witness me totally biff against a file cabinet or, or just like where have they been watching me drive and someone decided arbitrarily that I can't. <laughs> and so like, we need to make the area wider for you. Do you think that they were just trying to be polite? I think he was trying to tell me that other people have like assessed that I have poor driving skills. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about your spatial awareness is affected by CP. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's not even your fault if you aren't that good at driving your chair. I've always taken a lot of pride in it because when I first got my first wheelchair, Uh my parents, uh, they wouldn't let me drive through a certain part of the house. Oh, my parents are like that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my mom My mom is like that. She's brutal with some stuff like that. And then I remember doing it uh, without them around. And I was like, oh, uh-huh. this is easy. And then I just started doing it more and more often. And then I started doing it with them around. And a couple of times they'd be like, Anthony, we told you. And then they realized I did it just fine. Oh. And so I've always taken a lot of pride in being good at driving. Yeah. And so now anytime I run into something or bump something... I either feel like my disability is getting worse or I'm like being aloof for something like it really affects me. I'm like, oh, stupid, you know? I don't know. Under the circumstances, I don't think you should be too, too hard on yourself. But I totally understand what you're talking about. The fact that I can drive as well as I still can is a lot of the reason I'm so hesitant to like drive my chair a different way. Because even when I have trials with different controllers and stuff, OTs see me drive my current way and they're like, you're a really good driver. Like it doesn't feel like you need to do anything different. It's fun to be in control of a machine that's like 
ripping along a sidewalk. Yeah. And like maneuvering over obstacles and stuff. I enjoy that. If you're able bodied, would you have a lot of muscle cars and shit? Yeah, probably. I think I'd be a car guy for sure. Yeah. I, I look at cars sometimes when I stop myself because it, it kind of just makes me sad. There are ways you can drive cars if you're disabled, but in my situation, it would be so much retrofit options. And uh, I actually spec'd it out once with a company, mm-hmm. and I think they quoted me like $100,000 for the equipment plus the price of the vehicle and then the actual modifications. So it was all in going to be like 200 k for one vehicle. Man, if that if you did that, then we could start the series uh, Wheelies in Tony's car getting coffee. Wouldn't that be so fun, though? Yeah, that would be the best. It's honestly something I fantasize about on a weekly basis. It would be the same car every episode, so you wouldn't be like arbitrarily flaunting your wealth or your overwhelming success. But it would be funny if I did the same thing where I just explain the car in new ways every time <laughs> every episode yeah. Yeah, yeah today we have and i come up with a new way to describe the black color of the car yeah and it's just like you're so proud of it that you love explaining the, like what the car is every time yeah. and the episode is like you just bring other wheelies to like to like places, uh, other accessible places or something. Yeah. And you just like, you cross things off your, your inaccessible bucket list. It's such a fantasy to just be able to like, okay, cool. I'll come pick you up. I'll drive over to your place right now. Yeah. Not have to plan it based around paratransport when can they go there and all those variables and just the freedom. And I think I would really enjoy driving for the same reason. Like, I enjoy driving my ve- my wheelchair, so I think I would enjoy driving a vehicle. Yeah, of course. That makes sense. I mean, like I've said in previous episodes, I play Grand Theft Auto, like, every day. Yeah. And I've beaten the games multiple times over, and it has nothing to do with anything other than driving around. Just that freedom. It's a fun game to drive. Yeah. It's so It's so liberating in a weird way. I do this thing sometimes where... When I'm a passenger in a vehicle, yeah, I will be focused on the road as if I'm driving. Like I'll be like thinking about when I would hit the brakes, how how I would turn the wheel. Like I, it's a whole fantasy in my head. Does that mean? Does that turn you into a backseat driver? Well, I never verbalize any of it. Well, so but I'm saying like, do you regularly? Are you regularly a passenger in one of your friends' cars? Do you think they're an awful driver? No. Okay. I I do think I'd probably be a very good driver. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I can see that too. You don't look like a person who is aloof spatially. No. There's like the odd time in my wheelchair where I've got like off on some tangent in my brain or like got distracted looking at a girl or something. Like I've never driven off a curb or, or hit a wall or something like that. I drove off a curb once after consuming an edible. That was really terrifying. That is terrifying. Yeah. I, 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 I like it was right outside my apartment and I immediately just turned around and went home. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this isn't for me. I was like, I, I, I didn't realize how inebriated I was yeah. until that moment. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm really not here right now. And your chair didn't flip in that moment. 
No, it didn't. It just like hard clunked. And then my lower back hurt for a couple of days. Yeah. And I was like 25 at the time. So it wasn't old age. Hey, have I ever told you that my dad has a 1979 Corvette and it's currently parked in my driveway? You do. You have told me. I would love to see it. Yep. And it's like the interior like constantly smells like sports car. It's like real leather. And he's got his name engraved like on the gear shift. That's so cool. He always tells the stories. He'd be like, in 1983, your mother and I drove back from London, Ontario with your little sister in a in a baby carriage right in the back seat there. And there's like a little stowaway thing. And they, they like put my sister there. It's like, what? <laughs> That's cool. It's also cool that like you actually drove it and it's not just a collector's item. Yeah, we used to... Um, because I had uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, every year I had like a couple appointments in Minnesota. And so we would drive. It's like a six hour drive from Thunder Bay to Minnesota. And so we would drive in the Corvette. And it always kind of made me nervous because people love the car so much. I was like, is someone going to try to steal this fucking thing? Like, yeah, because, you know, people don't drive around fucking 35 year old muscle cars. Yeah, that's so cool. I would definitely be a car guy. I, especially now with the intersection of technology, which I love, and cars, I would be so into that, like a Tesla, the new electric cars that are coming out. But that, if I made it and I had $200,000 to spend, I would 100% look into actually getting a car that I could drive. That seems like something you could get funding for. You know, in Quebec, uh, you just have to buy the vehicle and then you can get the government will pay for the modifications. <laughs> so it's then what you're saying is that it's time to learn French. Uh, oui, oui. If I just have the French accent and peut-être parler en français un petit peu, then I could do the French car. <laughs> Imagine that, you know how Tesla and a lot of other electric cars put speakers to make it sound more like an engine mm-hmm. because people are used to that sound. It'd be funny if like a French car revved up differently. It was like, bling, bling, you know, it's just like, a, <laughs> it's the, like, in, in, in this car, it's like, vroom, and a French car is like, ah, oui, vroom, vroom. <laughs> Vamos. <laughs> I don't know. What the fuck would they say? Allez-y. Allez-y. I do not know uh, what a French car would sound like. or um... I don't either, but I think it would be, uh, how you say, amazing to hear it. It would. I thought you were going to say that you would have the car sound exactly like your power chair or something oh, like that. Oh, that's a funny thing you bring up. I had a technician look at my chair today because my right motor is making a terrible noise when I drive. What's a, What kind of terrible noise? Just really loud. Just sounds like something's scraping. It sounds like a vuvuzela. Not that. It's not high pitched, but it, it's just like a, like a almost like a scraping noise inside. It's not a good noise. It's just mechanical failure. But um, it was pretty fun. He put me up on a jack in my chair, and then had oh, yeah. me just revving my my and my motors just like going full throttle. So my wheels were spinning at full clip. See, see, that's how I know I'm a huge wuss because I'd be terrified of that. Like, what if you fucked up the jack or something and you ended up driving full speed? Full speed into the the wall. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. No, I mean, the wheels weren't touching the ground. It was so fun, but also really apparent that I should have got it looked at like a year ago. It was so bad. Because did it start to compromise other components or something? Well, I hadn't, I didn't even notice it really until a week or so ago, but he was like, there's no way this just happened. Like, this is like something that would have taken a year or more to develop over time. I've actually had that experience too with power chair mechanics. It's much like going to the dentist where they're like, you haven't been flossing. Yeah, 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 exactly. They're like, so like, do you use a mechanical toothbrush or because it just kind of seems like you maybe use your index finger on the top tooth for a microsecond. I don't know. Yeah, you can't just chew on a sponge. Yeah, for some reason, my dental hygienist in my brain is really ditzy. (laughs) It's a man. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny, though, because his solution was, well, don't drive fast. And if you told that to you, you'd be like, okay, fine. But him telling that to me, I was like, how soon can you get this fixed? Yeah, 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 fix it now. Yeah, I was like, I I don't, that's not, what's going to happen if I drive fast? Because I don't think the question is, am I going to drive fast? It's real driving fast be a detriment to my life. Are you excited to tell able-bodied bros that your chair now goes eight miles per hour, like when you get the new one? Like, is it all about that flex? No, it's just, it's again, it's just me and about me on the open bike path, cruising down the street yeah. and just getting to my destination 14 seconds earlier. Can we make like a, like a, like a Edgar Wright style, like action vignette of you just driving places in your chair with authority? I love driving. On the weekend, if it's nice out and I have no plan, I just go outside and I drive. Like, I'll drive until my wheelchair battery says stop driving. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you, and then that's when you find like a woman at like a, um, a patio and you're like, hey, baby, my chair is almost dead, but I stopped for you. <laughs> but you give me life. <laughs> but you charge my batteries. Nothing says romance like, hey, baby, want to push me home? but really like you need you know the guy that does our insta videos the amazingly talented michael coming yeah shout out to michael by the way yeah shout out to michael hi michael can you please uh work with my co-host tony uh to make a video of him driving places (laughs) like and make it look really sexy and cool like an edgar wright thing that'd be sick have i ever told you that I applied for Uber Bicycle. What? So I applied for Uber Bicycle. What the fuck is that? Uber Bicycle is where you can do Uber Eats on your bike. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just got it. Oh, so you were going to deliver food to people. I applied. Yeah. And I filled out the application. And it, it when, when you apply, it asks you... What kind of wheel or what kind of bicycle do you have? Uh-huh. And I just wrote Promobile C three hundred. No further details. Put a picture of myself. <laughs> have you ever done it? No, because I realize I'll need to bring someone to hit the elevator buttons. <laughs> Fuck. So 
I've been trying to recruit one of my friends who's in a manual chair. He's in a manual chair and I, because obviously it's hard to always push yourself everywhere in a manual chair. Yep. So when we're going somewhere together, he'll just grab onto the back of my chair and I'll pull him wherever we're going. And he has full upper body. So I was trying to pitch to him, look, if we are a team, we'll split the profits. I'll pull you to the building and you push the elevator button and knock on the door and we deliver the food. Would you guys have some sort of like name for each other for the duo that you are? Like the, I don't know, disabled Uber duo? Uber duo is pretty good. I don't know. I hadn't thought that far ahead. I was just kind of doing it to see if I could. The ambiguously disabled Uber. Please do. When did you apply? Is this a recent development? Yeah. Okay. I guess I won't pry for more details. Yeah, just wait until... I don't know. Part of me... I don't really have a lot of free time to do this. I was more mm-hmm. doing it because I thought it was a hilarious idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you just want the story of your first half dozen deliveries. Yeah. And honestly, like, I want to see the reaction of the person who Ubered food when you show up at their door. Right. <laughs> like, like... I really think that the person accepting food from you would have a like an ableist existential crisis where they would suddenly like have to confront how incredibly la- like lazy they are for <laughs> Here's your food. <laughs> uh, you like spritz yourself with like beads of sweat. It's 3 a.m. I hear you wanted a burger from McDonald's. <laughs> Happens to be right next door, but I got you. <laughs> I can't turn my neck, but here's your cheeseburger, you fuck. My attendant got me out of bed for this. <laughs> 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 that would be so amazing. Oh, man, you gotta, like, write down all the ways that you would roast them. No elevator in this building, eh? <laughs> hey, sorry, um, it's your Uber bicycle driver. Uh, do you mind coming down? Be like, uh, can you just bring it up? No, there's no elevator. Oh, you can't take the <laughs> stairs? No, I'm in a wheelchair. <laughs> you get the special, like, uh, um, quantum catapult, and you, like, catapult the food bag at the person's apartment window? I thought about just, like, getting my nephew or something to come with me. Because he likes to ride on the back of my chair. Like a little kid? Well, he's, like, 16. Okay, well, yeah, a little kid. Old enough to drive. Yeah. So, anyway... We'll see. I've not made my first Uber delivery, but... I think it would be fun for you and I to do that, like next summer or something. But then what would I be helping you with? You could just do it yourself. No, you would be the navigator. Right, you would get lost. I'll tell you where the curbs are so you don't drive off them. Yeah, and you would remind me what kind of power chair I'm driving. (laughs) (laughs) No, it would be super fun to do that. Yeah, and we could bring Michael with us. Yeah. I think he's compact enough to like fit inside of a bag on the back of the chair. What do you think? Like a little pouch? I have a spot where people can stand. That's not as fun. You'd, you'd rather put him in the bag? Well, I mean, I suppose we could ask him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, what movie did we watch? We watched The Little Mermaid, and it was good. I enjoyed The Little Mermaid. It was so good. I knew it would be good when I suggested it. I was kind of expecting you 
to gawk at me a little bit because we've been on a bit of a stretch of super heady movies that are really good movies, but also require like a, you know, your full attention and a bit of a discerning eye to watch them. And I knew that this movie would just be easy, fun, nostalgic, and also it's for sure a wheelie movie. It is for sure a wheelie movie. Yeah. In ways I never really considered because the animated classics of Disney or or the the second wave of Disney classics from 89 to 98 or whatever it was, the movies that matter to you or to to the viewer uh, who is our age would be the ones that you grew up with. Yeah. Like the, your first memory of a Disney film is generally the movie that matters most to you, I would think. So in 89, like my sister was six years old and I was only two. So Little Mermaid was what she watched on the VCR repeatedly, you know, for years until high school or something. And for me, it was it was Aladdin. Okay, I loved Aladdin. I couldn't stop watching it along with like Jim Carrey movies and The Mask and all that kind of stuff. Right. So The Little Mermaid sort of escaped me. And then it kind of resurfaced in 2002 when like a, a, a an underrated gem of an RPG came out called Kingdom Hearts, like a role-playing game. Anyway, I won't talk about that because that's... What, what does that have to do with The Little Mermaid? Well, because Kingdom Hearts was this was a Japanese RPG that also co-opted a lot of Disney properties. It was this this okay. idea that the intellectual properties of Square Enix, which is a Japanese game developer, and Disney like collided. And so you'd have... Final Fantasy characters interacting with uh, Disney characters. Um, the game was divided into like uh, a dozen different hubs or like worlds or whatever. And it's like a platforming action RPG. And so each world in was within the setting of a classic Disney film. Right. So you had like Hercules World, Aladdin World, Nightmare Before Christmas, The Little Mermaid, Tarzan um etc etc beauty and the beast and so that was a huge game when i first started high school and i was just coming off of pain meds from having a plate removed from my femur so i was all like stoned and like escaping with kingdom hearts and so that's when i got reintroduced to disney and started watching those movies again because i mean from pretty much every dimension you could accuse those movies of having uh, very simple narratives and potentially being, you know, sexist. Um, but I think that's a bit like reductionist or one dimensional. Yeah. They, they're they're incredibly good, man. They're really excellent films. Even just when you think about the technical uh, prowess of these movies, like the the animation is incredible for the time. Yeah, like it's so good. Like I I rewatched a little bit of the Little Mermaid um, after we watched it last night, so I was kind of like reviewing the the musical numbers after work today. I watched all the musical numbers like five times today, just because yeah. they were stuck in my head and I wanted to hear them again. Yeah, they're so they're so dense in every possible way. Like yeah. the way the the choreography of the dancing, like how how every little scene is staged there's a number of visual gags and like 
Um, just the uh, what, what's the word for when like a non-human anthropomorphic? Yeah, the anthropomorphization of creatures is so incredible. It's like speaking to some kind of like essence of body mechanics that you can't even really like fully articulate, but they've mastered it. Yeah. And I, I, I think about like the timelessness of, of this stuff, like this, the little mermaid came out in 1989 and I would say from start to finish, it's technically and visually flawless. The, the, the musical numbers are total earworms lyrically. They're not only well-written songs that you want to sing, whoever you are, you, you, you feel compelled to sing them, but they all, they also function as like really strong and, and concise character development, like basically good dialogue in addition to being wonderful songs that also contribute, that also contribute holistically to the score of the movie. The music, like the scores of the film are incredibly iconic and each song is woven into the score such that all the melodies like sort of overlap and interplay and work together. And it's like, it's such amazing cinematic clockwork that you're like, you're just like overwhelmed by the density of talent involved. Like it's, it's so awesome. The lyrics to the song, a lot of musicals, the lyrics are kind of just rehashing the last 10 minutes of dialogue. Yes. But in this movie, the lyrics are generally coming before the dialogue. So like the, I want to be where the people are part of that world, whatever song she sings that to sort of set the tone for more of the movie. Right. It's not like a musical recap of the, of the script that just happened. It's the other way around. These movies are typically um, like at or less than 90 minutes. So they're incredibly succinct. Yeah. And that does come at the, at the expense of like narrative complexity. Usually the stories are pretty narratively straightforward, but yeah, but they're also generally aimed at children. Of course. Yeah. And they're adaptations of like, of fairly sophisticated works. Yeah. Like this is an adaptation of a, of a, a musical from Hans Christian Andersen, I believe. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And in the, and, and in the real, or sorry, in the source material, like Ariel um, suffers a kind of a worse fate. Like it's not a happy ending. Right. I don't think she gets the man at the end. And there's also like more, more body horror and more like visceral and disturbing consequences to her transformation into a human. Which ultimately maybe that speaks a bit more even to the points that we're going to talk about that related to disability. Yeah. Movies like this, even though they're just made to be easily digestible, because of that, there's so much you can soak out of them and absorb from them. Yeah. And again, it's like the facial expressions on the characters, like their body language, like how they interact with the environment, like the way the art direction of the movie and its chosen setting sort of intermingles with how the characters are designed. Yeah. There's also a... Like a fluidity or an understanding of how the character's mouth should move, so the voice that comes out of them matches their the like the dialogue. 
Yeah, the the their their voice matches their face. Like I don't know yeah. how else to say it. Yeah, well, I think that's partially because they write the script, then they do the voice acting, then they do the animation. And they they also animate the the characters' lips and their mouths and their facial structure. Usually their primary influence for the character design might be someone else, yeah. but then they they also sort of fuse it with the mannerisms of the voice actor that is portraying them. Yeah, they record all of that. Yeah, and so the result is like this final product that seems wonderfully well integrated. Yeah, like all the, all the all the little components of it just fit together and you get a characterization like it's just so self-evident how much work has gone into every facet of the movie. You look at the way um what what, what is Ursula, the way that Ursula moves um as like an as like this evil octopi or whatever how she swims through the water and just like the way that she utilizes her tentacles like during the musical numbers at one point she like wraps around april like while she, or ariel while she's like uh, explaining the terms of her of her spell or like ariel tries to speak and she like silences her with one of her like octopus fins or whatever mm-hmm. and like these little flourishes they they add up like your you're you're you may not be consciously registering all these little details but but your brain is well yeah it's setting the, the tone and back to what you said about the anthropomorphate anthropomorphization mm-hmm. that's a 30 dollar word by the that's way. a 30 dollar word yeah try saying that a dozen times fast anthropomorphization anthropomorphization <laughs> the the choice of every character and the animal that they're chosen to represent, yep. that character is so spot on. Like Flounder being this sort of like happy, bright, colorful, almost like fat fish was amazing. And then the crab is perfect. Ursula was like not scary, but scary. She's menacing. Yeah. She's, she's full of resentment and like the potential for malintent. Just the way she moves is like so foreboding and like she's captured a bunch of mer souls like in her moralistic like wish fulfillment thing she has going on. And so there's these little like gremlins that are sprouting out of the earth in her in her like coral home or whatever. And they're like desperate and crying and like there's this sense of like profound evil. Even though it is a children's film, so much is suggesting more. You know what I mean? Like the under the sea number where mm-hmm. all of the little, you know, like the octopi are strung together to form a bass guitar. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like every every little element is so good. Even when Ursula is putting on her makeup. She's using like some underwater creature yeah. to use their. She applies the makeup and she like pops her lips and there's a. It's oh man, it's just so good. It's cool as fuck. Like I encourage, I encourage any people out there who are young parents and looking for things to show their children. Anyone, it doesn't even. It just watch it. I'm not a child. I don't have kids, and I loved it. Yeah, it's just yeah. a good movie on its own. It's fun, it's light, but it's it's meaningful too. Like 
as I, I, I'm excited to get into, there are a lot of really important, really references throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the messages behind it can easily be teaching moments for kids or, or even for adults. Yeah, there's a few missteps as well, I might argue. Yeah, we can talk about, like, some of the... But let's first talk about what makes it a wheelie movie. The plot, obviously, we don't have to har- we don't have to go very deep on the plot. Most people probably understand what it's about as it is. But uh, a mermaid wants to fall in love. She's kind of wanderlustful and is exploring, realizes that there's a whole other world out there that she isn't part of, wants to be part of it, and thinks that in order for her to be part of it, she needs to shed some current part of her identity. So at first, her um, her wanderlust is more driven by curiosity about the world of man and what is actually going on on land. Mm-hmm. She um, she accumulates all kinds of trinkets from the from above the sea. Yeah, like if you want thingamabobs, she's got plenty. Yeah, and the mo- the movie takes place in I guess like you know a few hundred years in the past, so it's like kind of seventeen uh, hundreds, I suppose. Yeah, and man is traversing the seas via massive colonial ships, and um, <clears throat> Ariel has a bunch of like old timey trinkets in this like hideout of hers that she's kept away from her father and his uh, underlings. And she's not at first motivated by love. She just has like a general, a general curiosity. <clears throat> and um, the, one of the first scenes of the movie is her rushing into like a, a capsized shipwreckage at the bottom of the ocean. And she's just looking for memorabilia. Um, so she ventures into this like old shipwreck and she's with her friend whose name I can't remember, the goldfish. Flounder. I used to have a big plush flounder. Did you? Flounder looks like the inspiration for all of the characters in Finding Nemo. Like they might actually be part of the same universe. Well, they're definitely part of the same sea. <laughs> so... Like, yeah, there's the first like kind of action scene of the movie. Ariel um, runs into a, a a great white shark while she's like rummaging for trinkets. And she just has to elude this shark. And he has no it's, it's just like really fun to watch because the shark really only knows how to chomp. Like he's menacing and terrifying and whatever. And he's just kind of plowing through the shipwreckage with his teeth, like one chomp at a time. And Ariel's like kind of like deftly evading him and pulling uh, her friend along with her. I, I can't uh, overemphasize how much fun it is to watch to watch the problem solving happen. Like yeah. ha- figuring out how to move through the vessel to avoid the fish. And to like trap him uh, under certain circumstances, it's it's like so fluid and interesting and kinetic. It's like it's so well thought out. It makes every other like animated studio film that isn't Studio Ghibli or Pixar look like crap. Well, yeah, the the actual animation right out of the gate is 
they're they're almost like showing off, but in a way where it's well deserved and it doesn't feel arrogant. They're just like, this is a skill that they have honed and yeah. they know exactly how to leverage it. It makes me wonder how many times like one animator spent just like drawing sharks. I was thinking about that because I think this movie was largely done by hand, but I don't think they were using a whole lot of computers at this time. No, there might have been something. There might have been something for like tweening between frames, potentially. Yeah, it's so well done. Everything is even to the untrained eye. It, you, there's a difference in it. It's special. Yeah. I, I think about this like in terms of um, CGI and video games because one common issue in video games today that seems to plague the industry is an inability um, in 3D modeling to realistically portray like um, facial expression properly. Yeah. Um, Like, you know, like um, smiling, for example, is something that seems to be kind of hard to pull off and make look realistic or charming. I took animation in school and the hardest thing we ever had to do was lip syncing. And not because it was technically the hardest thing we had to do, but because humans are wired uh, so well to interpret facial expressions, where the eyes are looking, how the eyes look, how a mouth moves, how a face moves. You notice every little tiny imperfection so much more. Right. Yeah. So it's almost inevitable that you have an uncanny valley where something in your brain tells you that the face that you're looking at isn't behaving in the way that you expect, or it's not lit the way that it should be, or, 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 or. Yeah, we had to do one project where we animated, I think it was like 30 seconds or less of audio, and just lip synced to that phrase. Mm -hmm. And I spent probably like 15 to 20 hours on it which like like is rather conservative for 30 seconds and like one person yeah it could work because it wasn't that good (laughs) but it was incredibly hard yeah for sure it's unbelievable to like imagine the number of man hours per per second of this particular movie and i was just about to say like disney themselves has gotten kind of bad at it within certain realms like I, uh, people who saw the Mandalorian might have noticed that there was a particular scene that I can't spoil, but that it featured a character like from earlier in the franchise uh, during a, during basically they had to reanimate the, this person's face and they used um, some sort of proprietary Disney like facial motion capture software. And it wasn't as good as like a deep fake learning al- algorithm. Um, that you could run that like five or six guys could run themselves like in a garage somewhere and come up with a more realistic render. So it, this is a hard problem to solve yeah. in uh, in computer graphics, but in, in animation, like the process itself is so brute force and there's so much talent required to, to draw each frame that like the result is just profoundly good. Especially especially in a medium like cinema or video games where quite often being at the frontier of the tech is what um like exemplifies you as a as a piece of entertainment. Like the fact that a nineteen eighty nine 
uh, animated cartoon could look better than a scene from The Mandalorian in 2021 is pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, we could probably talk for hours about just how good this movie is from a technical point of view, from a movie point of view. Mm -hmm. But I really think we should talk more about disability. Yeah. So one thing I loved is how she's on this journey, kind of trying to decide whether it's worth blowing up her life. She's ultimately playing real breakers. Yeah. She's like, will I give up my voice to be able-bodied? Yeah. But I, uh, I was just going to say like, is being a mermaid like analogous to being disabled? I think to her it is. In the water, she's ambulatory, relatively speaking. It's just that she's more fascinated with the walking world because the audience is. I'm so glad you asked this question. Okay. Because I was wondering the same thing. Maybe Sebastian, the crab, is on to something. He gives a, a great song telling us, hey, it's not that bad being down here. Yeah. And when I was... Uh, watching the movie, listening to that song, inevitably singing along, Yeah, I realized, I wonder if our wheel breakers is in part uh, a little bit of a negative sentiment. Of course it is. Right. Yeah. We are essentially saying our life isn't good enough. We want to make it better by doing this able-bodied thing that everyone talks about mm-hmm. and seems to do. Sometimes I wish I had a disabled crab to tell me, Hey, man, you're doing all right. Yeah, I was trying to think of wordplay or something where we could mo- where we could come up with our own cover of that song. Under the Sea? Yeah. It'd be like, B-O-E-L-E. <laughs> yeah. It always appears easier to have someone else's legs, to have all of these big muscles. But what would you use them for? <laughs> you don't have to wait there. You can just sit there, butt on the seat. That's why it's better parking on Fetter. Be a wheelie. <laughs> Look at all the stairs around you. Just use the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> you can get the ramp if you need to, or live on a single floor. <laughs> <laughs> don't have to take stairs or pay a bus fare. <laughs> butt on the seat. <laughs> Um, the thing is, like, his song is kind of persuasive because really he says, good. like, I wanted to be a mermaid. He's a BC. He's like on the surface. You just have to work really hard under the hot sun yeah. and rarely reap the benefits for your rewards. That's why it's hot to under the water. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's hot. <laughs> but yeah, he basically like makes a pretty good case for life. Uh, under the sea being far more utopian and there being a lot more freedom because you're not expected to work for a living or earn a living, which is kind of a ridiculous concept that we have like on this earth. Of course, you should participate in your community and be an asset to the people around you like is part of the social construct or contract of being in a community. But like, like the idea that we have to earn a living by like, devoting our labor to someone else who ultimately doesn't really care about our well-being is kind of shitty. I don't even know if it's that argument so much as it's like your life isn't that encumbered 
by being disabled. Yeah. Like it, it feels a lot more encumbered than it actually is. If you really think about it, Sebastian has taught me that it's okay to be disabled. You know, like it's easy to look up and be like, oh, I just wish I could walk or drive or run or jog. And I'm not even going to pretend I don't still wish those things. But I maybe I, I need to do more to take stock of what I actually have and what I actually offer. And all those things are just as important. And, you know, there's definitely some things that we as disabled pers- persons can offer that able-bodied people might not be able to just because of our experiences or whatever. Yeah. It definitely was enough to make me appreciate perspective is everything. When you're saying this, are you saying as a as a contemporary viewer in the present moment, or did you have any of these sort of precocious thoughts as a child? I was actually wondering that too, because I was a big Little Mermaid fan as a kid. I always loved Ariel. I I don't I I want to say that I identified with her, but I don't think I was precocious enough to make those connections and draw those parallels. Yeah, I think I just liked the movie. Maybe I knew enough of you know as a kid. I always felt like there was something I couldn't do, like there was some world outside of my world that I was inherently unable to participate in. And so I probably was identifying with that even just subconsciously. I definitely wasn't consciously making the connection that it was a wheelie movie. Same here. Yeah. One one thing about this movie, and maybe this isn't so much about disability, but that kind of struck me, was that I don't really think Ursula was the primary villain of the film. Was it ableism? Well, no. It was more like, a, 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 for me, the primary villain of the film was um, King Titus, or what was his name? Tinnitus? Yeah. Triton? Yeah, King Triton. I wanted to call him Zeus. Anyway, Ariel's father is having a whole lot of trouble coping with the fact that his seventh and youngest daughter, who's really talented, is not necessarily as focused on what he wants for her as his other six daughters. And so he's kind of panicking about her innate curiosity for things outside of his domain. So he has like major control issues and Ursula is conniving and she's trying to usurp him and become the queen of the sea or whatever. But she's also like kind of deeply alienated and, and sad. Like there's, like, you know, she chews up the scenery in her musical number and she's super, like, uh, she's having a lot of fun in her musical number and stuff. But yeah, she's ultimately, like, kind of maybe the saddest character in the movie. Ursula? Ursula, yeah. Yeah. And so she sees an opportunity to sort of uh, um, entrap Ariel and use her as a bargaining chip against Zeus to like basically steal the throne away from him and I guess rule tyrannically or whatever. But she's also been deemed a witch and she like lives in a cave and she's very lonely. Her only two friends are like two eels that like spy on the ocean for her. And like, I don't know. I still think Ursula was a pretty convic- convincing 
I remember being scared when she was a kid. That one yeah. scene near the end of the movie where they're on the ship and Ursula like scuttles across the ship to grab Ariel is like yeah. a terrifying scuttle. Like almost like an arachnid or something, like a fucking terrifying spider. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Ursula when I was a kid. Like, I remember comparing her to my grade one Catholic school teacher who herself was like a real tyrant. I remember also having an Ursula in my life and being able to use the Little Mermaid as a bit of a lens to see that person through. There's some phobia happening there with that characterization because her image is based on an actress um, in some popular uh, John Waters films from back in the day uh, called Divine. She was like like a drag queen. How do you know that? <laughs> That's like common trivia from Little Mermaid. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know if you call if you call that pho- phobia or not or like discrimination or what, but I don't know. I mean, I think if you're gonna, I don't think it's unfair to draw inspiration from something. Oh, yeah. It's tricky because like stereotypes are obviously often harmful, but at the same time, they, when when a cartoon is trying to create a character, I don't think it's using a stereotype to harm the person. I think it's trying to use a stereotype to make the character relatable to people. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think that having just a straight up villain in a movie is fine, but when you're when you're basing your your characterization on like a potential minority group, then you have to be really careful with how with whether or not you make that character sympathetic or you give them some nuance because as we say like it 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 for for the primary audience of that film it creates like like an archetype in the child viewer's mind that they never quite forget or they never quite unpack. I, I see what you're saying, and you're right. The character, all of the characters, really, maybe not Ariel, but all the other characters are fairly two-dimensional. Yeah. And their purpose is to express a perspective towards Ariel and for Ariel to be able to synthesize all of those perspectives and hopefully come out on top as a result. But for if if all of those secondary characters were super nuanced and complicated, I don't know if the kids would be able to make those same conclusions. Well, ultimately, like it, it makes me much less willing to readily empathize for my grade one teacher because I immediately associate her with Ursula, who at the time for me was terrifying and who like, you know, didn't invite or require me to understand her. So I'm just saying that that can potentially have consequences, yeah. but maybe not. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe. I mean, she's, she's still a fantastic character and like a very, very memorable and effective villain. Was your first grade teacher an octopus? Yes. Okay, so that is unfair to most octopi. And I think an octopus watching this movie would be like, come on, guys. Yeah. But then again, there are other octopi in this movie who are just playing the bass. That's true. Slapping the bass, man. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Do you think that this movie 
or at least the way it's played out and the way it ends is ableist. Yes. Yeah. I do, yeah, because Ariel's dad discovers her haven of human trinkets. Okay, wait. Before we get into that, I just thought of this question. What would our trinket haven be filled with as disabled people wanting to be able-bodied? What would it would it be full of like hiking shoes and jump ropes? For you it would be a collection of model muscle cars. Yeah, and maybe like recipe books of steaks and other hard things to chew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for you it would be like bathtubs with super high ledges that you can just step into easily. Yeah, it would be like, uh, it would be probably like a bunch of workout equipment that I wish I could use. Right. Or like, I don't know, a soccer ball, which is kind of pathetic to think about. (laughs) What else? Let's see. Yeah, like a steering wheel would be in there. Yep. Stairs. We would, it would be up a flight of stairs to get into it, right? Yep. Oh, wait, no, because we'd have to be able to get into our own haven. So it would be kind of dumb if we excluded ourselves from being able to get in so yeah it wouldn't have stairs to get into it but it would have stairs inside here's the thing are you ever frustrated that certain kinds of clothes don't fit you the way they fit able-bodied people yeah that's a funny thing because i have like a belly kind of right and so i'm very skinny but then i have like a weird well not weird but it's just like a belly yeah. So shirts, especially like button-up shirts and shirts that generally don't stretch, are either too tight on the bottom or too loose at the top. Oh, I get that completely. So because of the of how pronounced my scoliosis is, I have like really defined stomach muscles, but I don't look like I am lean sometimes when I wear shirts, certain shirts. So I get frustrated that my outer appearance doesn't speak to the amount of effort that I put into my own exercise regime. And like, I've had this, this epiphany before where like, I've gone to the pool, like with my guy friends and they'll be like, like, Oh, you're like, you're, you're pretty jacked actually. And they always say it with a note of surprise. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course I have defined muscles. I live on my arms and I'm spastic. So they're always flexed. So why wouldn't I? I get frustrated. Like that's my inner monologue, by the way. I don't just berate them instantly for saying I I look okay. But it's always with a note of surprise. And I hate that. And it's because like, you know, my outfits never quite reflect my physique or something. But maybe that's cool for you because it's like, you know, you just look whatever with your shirt on and then you bring a lady home, take your shirt off. And it's just like a pleasant surprise for them. Well, yeah, but (laughs) I never get that opportunity. And you think it's because your shirts don't fit you? No, it's like, what am I going to do? Like take my shirt off, like at the dinner table of the first date. Yeah. That's exactly what you should be doing. (laughs) No. Yeah. No. We already went over this wheel breaker previously where I was like, you have to take your shirt off indoors. And remember, I was totally willing to do that. And you were surprised. Yeah, because of the social faux pas of it. Not because I didn't think you were jacked. I'm not saying I'm jacked. I'm just saying that I'm not 
is you literally like, just said you were jacked. No, I, I, I just it back. I, you used the word jacked. No, I did it. You did. I said I have stomach muscles. You said your friends tell you you're jacked. Oh, well, that's the language that they use, not me. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's the language you chose to remind everyone that. It's- oh, fuck. I'm such a conceited piece of shit. It's good to be proud of your own shit. All right. So anyway, what the hell were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Able, I, I think that this movie is, at least the ending, is ableist. It's totally ableist, yeah. For one thing, oh, like, you okay. you were talking about how your shirts don't fit you. And so your shirts would be in your shrine of able-bodiedness. I guess, yeah. It would be like, oh, here's an outfit I would wear if I had a straight spine and could walk. Yeah. And had normal hips. I think mine would also have more cooking equipment in it. Like yeah. stuff that I wish I could use, but I know I can't ask an attendant reasonably to help me cook something with it because yeah. it's just too involved. And probably, like we were talking about earlier, some of those like woodworking tools and like other sorts of tools. I would have more, I have way more tools already than a disabled person should have. Like, I almost look like a poser. Like, I have a lot of tools. Do you have, like, collections of different types of screws and shit? And when people come to your house, like, people come to your house and they're like, do you have, like, a Nelson's 45-degree, like, (laughs) one-inch diameter, like, table screw saw? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I have one. Yeah. Do you have, like, a clamp for, like, gluing pieces of wood together or something? Like... I'm just because able-bodied dudes are always like talking about tools and how they need specific kinds of screws and specific kinds of glue. And like they look at like my friends now because they're homeowners, they come over to my dad's like little shed and they're like, wow, Jerry, like this is really cool that you're that you made a coat hanger or this is really cool that you like you know, made a light that you mounted in the backyard in some really sophisticated way. That is cool. And I'm proud of my dad. I'm proud of him for that shit, of course. But I don't, I'm just just like, oh, I can't do it, so I don't care. Do you think you would care if you were able-bodied, though? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah, which is shitty. Like, like, it's shitty of me, I think. Oh, because you resent it? It's a little petty, for sure. Yeah, like I expect my friends to be like interested in the disabled shit that I'm interested in sometimes, like video games. Hey man, do you have like the Nelson upgrade pack to DLC content? <laughs> for like Gears of War, man? Yeah, do you have the 45 degree upgrade package for Grand Theft Auto? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely be more into it. I, I just like how things work. I like making things. I like feeling creative. This is obviously a fun way to be creative, but I like building things too. What's what's a thing you've built that you're really proud of right now to this day? Um, I I can never build anything on my own. Well, I didn't ask that. I know, but I mean, like, what's something? Well, obviously, what's something that you participated in the building of that you're very proud of? One of the first things that really got me into it was I made this. Again, I didn't make it. I had the idea. I went to a guy. He ended up doing, obviously, all the work. Well, yeah, but the idea is is like a really important part. It's like 75% of the work. Mm, I don't know. But what it was, was a, I had like this laptop mount 
that I could, my laptop would sit in it on a tray. The tray had a post coming out the bottom and I was able to drive under this specially designed holder, Uh line myself up the right way Uh and then elevate my chair so that my chair, which had like a receptor for the post would take the, the tray it would lock into my chair and I could back out and take my laptop with me to class. Oh my God. That's so cool. It was so cool. And that's like the first step toward an Iron Man suit. The latest one that I'm pretty proud of is my headrest. I, I went to an engineer and was like, Hey, I have this idea for a headrest where, because I can't move my head on my own, but I would like to be able to not always be in the same position at all times can I not put an actuator on a headrest that, and then push a button to turn my headrest? And he was like, okay, and built it. <laughs> and now I have like the only power headrest that I know of. And this guy has started making them for other people. That's so fucking awesome. Yeah. So that kind of stuff is really cool. I don't even have like a shitty joke for that. That's just awesome. I have a lot of stuff in my apartment that I've put together, you know, like, the home automation type stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and I take a lot of pride in that. And I sure. benefit directly from that all the time, every day. I don't know. What about you? Do you not have that in you where you feel really proud of something you've come up with or built? Or is it like maybe it's just software? I have a couple of pet projects where I made some things with my uncle that I'm proud of. Yeah. I, guess, I mean, I guess I'm proud of my bar top arcade that I built. Right. I know. But I mean, it's sort of, I mean, it was sort of a product of my um, COVID depression. So I don't know if I should be proud of it. I don't, I don't know why that would exclude you from being proud of it. I'm proud of this podcast. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah the, the podcast is definitely one of the proudest ways I've been able to be creative because again, it's something we're fully able to do, but it also, it's helped me a lot emotionally i think it's like a fun outlet for a lot of like stress and a lot of uh pervasive thoughts and it's just uh, yeah it's been a lot of fun i agree um should we get into why the end of this movie is kind of ableist yeah okay so basically ariel makes a deal with ursula and she sings that the fucking banger what what's the name of her banger song again which one part of that world part of your world no, 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 Ursula's number. Oh, I don't know what it's called. Poor Unfortunate Soul. I think it's called Poor Unfortunate Souls. Yeah, it's awesome. Anyway, so um, she makes a deal with Ursula, and Ursula's like, you have three days to fucking kiss your boy, and he better love you when he does it, or else you're going to, I'm going to imprison you as a little ghoulish thing living out of a hole in the coral of my home. Ariel's like, yeah, it's no problem. I'll fucking plan a smooch on that guy. And so she goes, Don't be gonna kiss the girl. Yeah, yeah. So she gets her legs and then uh, her, her fish friend swims her up to the surface of the water. And she, in exchange for her legs, she gives Ursula her voice as collateral. And then Ursula has this remark. She's like, don't worry. Men on land prefer women who don't talk anyways. <laughs> which is terrible fucking terrible but i mean it's 
I guess it, it's appropriate that the, the sexism comes from the villain of the movie and that the, you know, the movie's not endorsing Ariel's predicament or something. It was kind of funny how quickly they flipped. They were like, this is a terrible idea. And then she signed her soul away, gave up her voice, and her friends were like, all right, well, we'll basically be the best ring man ever to make sure you guys make out. Well, that's the other thing. Like, but like yeah, people have made the allegation that like this Disney princess narrative is harmful to young girls because they, they say that Ariel's primary motivation is to marry what's his face. Yeah. But I don't think that's the case. Like she, her father um, basically causes a major rift between them because he's so unwilling to indulge her curiosity about the world beyond the water. And so I, I think it's kind of like his fault that she becomes so reckless and self-endangering because he, he destroys her haven of trinkets like by the swing of his staff and then he fucks off. And of course he has doubts and reservations about his parenting tactics. You know, he goes to Sebastian and he's like, was I too hard on her? And in the audience, you're like, yeah, you fucking were like, all she wants to do is go see what's up on land. Uh, Like fucking come on, dude. Like, you know, encourage that, that innate curiosity in her, but he doesn't. And so, you know, she falls in love, which 16 year old, kids are bound to do i mean i'm I'm sure from your personal life you can cite many examples where you you did some things that uh, were certainly under the influence of uh lust or butterflies for a for a new for a new girlfriend yeah i fucking did that in my mid-20s for christ's sake yeah I, i've done it like all the way up to the ends of relationships exactly it's not something that's exclusive to disney princesses I don't even think it's like an unhealthy motivator. I get the idea of, you know, you don't need to have a man or have someone to be successful and to be happy. Mm-hmm. But we're also genetically encoded to want those things. Yeah, there, there's definitely like hormones at play between two young people here. Yeah. And by the way, uh, the 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 able-bodied dude whose name I forget, and I don't think I'll remember by the end of the podcast, but her her love interest is also looking for a bride, and he also falls as deeply in love with her as she does with him. So they're both kind of being impenti- in, uh, horny teenagers. So I don't think it's a I don't think it's a, a feminist problem. What do you think your main motivation is for wanting to be able bodied? Well, because she's just fascinated by the world of man, and she thinks that there might be something that. Um, she's passionate about or interested in that she could focus the rest of her life on, I guess. I don't know. What do you think your main motivation to be able-bodied is? Are you fascinated by able-bodiedness? I mean, I certainly don't have like, it's not like, oh, like if I was able-bodied, I'd get like an amazing job and I'd make a bunch of money and whatever. I think my goals would be mostly interpersonal. Right. Again, and I agree. I feel the same way. I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking that. Or wanting those things. But as long as as long as it's not a detriment to your current state, knowing that you can't, you know? Like if Ariel didn't have Ursula to make her a human, would she have spiraled into a depression? Or would she have just, you know, been sad for a bit and then gone back to singing? 
I don't know. But the other thing is, it's, it is also her first love. Yeah. You know, it's like first time dealing with these kinds of feelings that happen instantaneously or whatever. And so, I mean, it's not unrealistic that, that she should be reckless or potentially self-destructive. And it would be, I don't, I don't think I'd want to watch a Disney movie where the the person is like, yeah, there's a man up there. I'm in love, but I don't need a man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, you could gender swap and it would be the same thing. Yeah. It would be more interesting if you, you know, if you're motivated by a love interest. For God's sake, we watched 10 years of like uh, American TV sitcoms just to see the main characters kiss for the first time. Exactly. Like, it's like something we look for a lot. And it's something that you can frame like fantastic stories around and really well-developed characters in that. So, but the, the catch for Ariel having her legs is that she has to give up her voice. And in fact... Ariel's voice was the first thing that her love interest hears. She re- she rescues him from a shipwreck in the first act of the film. And while she's making sure that he's still alive and he she sort of like, you know, brings him back up to consciousness or whatever, she sings to him. So he falls for her voice, which is not superficial. Right. And then he becomes obsessed with finding her. And then so she gets her legs so she can go on land and finally meet up with her her man. She has to give up her voice. So he he actually doesn't realize Ariel is his true love or whatever. And this is where I kind of take beef with the film is that I was kind of hoping that they would figure out a compromise. Like Ariel would figure out an optimal way to communicate with her man. Can we just call him like Kyle or something? I'm pretty sure it was like Eric or something. Yeah, Eric or yeah, dude. Dude. So she's she like she doesn't really try to talk to dude or use sign language or you know connect with him or whatever. It would be funny if there was like mermaid sign language. I was actually wondering. Dude seems pretty cool. About seems pretty open minded. He's the kind of guy who's like nobody's the right one for me. I'm waiting to find that right one. I don't need them to fit any sort of boxes. So it would have been fun to see if Ariel was just like, hey, I'm a mermaid. Want to hang out? Yeah. I feel like dude would have been like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Like that would have been really interesting if they figured out a way for him to like hang out with her at sea. Yeah. Or something. Like she didn't actually have to come up to land. Situation where Ariel like helps them hold his breath for a while so that he can go under and yeah. see his friend or see her friend like fish three or whatever. Uh, or she like builds him a large snorkel and like they try to see how deep they can go. Yeah. And then he builds her like a mermaid chair. Yep. That honestly would have been a really cool way to see the movie play out is where instead of, I guess you have to be able bodied to live your dream, she could have just. The movie could have been, let's figure out how we can make it work uh, from human to mermaid. We certainly know that Disney doesn't lack imagination when it comes to these kinds of problems, like yeah. portraying the, the the sort of like physical barriers between them and how they might solve them. Yeah. So, yeah, the fact that Ariel has to achieve an ambulatory, like normative state is is annoying. 
but you can see why in 1989, yeah. like that is how the the narrative would have had to resolve itself. Well, and I don't even, yeah, it would have been a very complex thought, and people maybe would have argued that it's like bordering on interspecies or something. Because <laughs> if a child saw that and they're like, oh, I'm a human, I can date a mermaid. Well, but you could see how a child would see the little mermaid and then like walk up to a, an able-bodied person or a disabled person and be like, will your legs ever work? Yeah. Maybe they just went around thinking all disabled people were great singers. Exactly. Or they knew how to swim away from great white sharks. If they did a remake of this movie, it would be interesting for them to change the ending and go with a more refreshed, up-to-date approach on, you know, interabilism or something like that. I would have loved for there to be like more of an actual courtship between the two leads instead of it just being like, you know, the 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 physical barrier of air and land or of water and land yeah. preventing them from kissing for the first time. I was wondering like how did Triton make all those babies? Yeah, the, well, yeah, exactly. Where is Ariel's mother? Yeah, and that's another thing that might have been more interesting, right? Because if Ariel's mother was like uh, able-bodied or you know a land person, there th- she would have had poles from both sides. Yeah, and then she would have been like a true like halfling wheelie. Um, you could have seen like both like it would it would have been less of a dichotomy between those worlds. Yeah. Because it would also imply that Triton or whatever ate the ate the forbidden fruit and is a hypocrite for forbidding Ariel from uh, joining the the land of the land, <laughs> the land of the land. I would like to see them make it into a different a different ending. It'd be interesting to see what they did if if they really just sort of doubled down on the metaphor of disability, and then if it ended with being pro interable relationships that would be really really cool even if they just didn't give her her voice back yeah you know which people might misread as them as as it being like oh well she remains silent so she's a less empowered woman or whatever right. like, no she's just mute and she has to figure out alternate ways of um communicating and she still can be vocal in a different sense or whatever but even if she was if she remained mute as a consequence of her dealings with Ursula, like the problem solving around that would have been more satisfying potentially. Yeah. But again, I don't truly have problems with this movie. Like you got to think as well, like Ariel, all of Ariel's friends, they're all different walks of life. Yeah. Like she has, a, she has a seagull who sort of understands the, the world of the, of, of the able-bodied a little more. And he does some retconning for her. And then she has her uh, guppy fish friend and uh, Sebastian, like people of all walks of life or whatever, who all sort of mingle and contribute to the film in interesting ways. All right. Well, we're running up the clock a bit here. Should we end it with a wheel breaker? Okay. Yeah. Yep. I think we get, yeah. Wheel breakers. Do you have one? You go first. Okay. Jamie, I know you want to pee where the people are. 
You want to pee? Want to pee while standing? I'm going to make you able-bodied. But the thing is, you can't walk. You can only run. So anytime you want to move from one place to another, you go at top speed. You run to the bathroom. You run through the grocery store. You're just always running full speed. Run through the airport. Run through the airport. You can never slow down. Run to the church pew. Run through the church. You run at the marathon. You would never be able to be a speed walking competition. Speed walking is ridiculous, by the way. So just <laughs> It looks like everyone has to pee really badly. It's like, how is he even keeping track of one foot on the ground at all times? My friends were talking about that. They're like, there must be sensors in the shoes. And if they mildly fuck up, then accuse somebody to look at their feet. It's a stupid sport. It's the stupidest of all the sports. It looks like they're going to break a hip just from the waddling. You know, it's just, it looks so weird. Like your body's not supposed to move like that. Yeah, it just looks like power moms. Bizarre. Okay, so would you do this deal where you would run everywhere, but never? I, I can't really think of many situations where running would be like wholly inappropriate. Unless I was like pushing a baby carriage and or walking with a toddler beside me and they couldn't keep up and I was in charge of looking after the kid. Just dragging the kid down the sidewalk. Yeah, like that. So if I was a parent, I would say no. But right now, I don't care. But you would eventually be a parent, maybe. Doubtful. If I'm running all the time, maybe not. (laughs) You could just find someone who likes to run. True. It would probably tire them out. And I could get a dog that runs all the time. Or that you you have to tire out on a daily basis? Yeah. I mean, you would be fit, that's for sure. You'd never have to worry about your fitness. Yeah. It would just be it would just be a little strange. Yeah. It, it would wouldn't really weird. stop you from doing anything. It would it'd be a little annoying. Like, I'd always be like Jamie, chill out. Yeah. And you go on a on a date with someone and they they, they say, Oh, why don't we take a walk along the canal? And and you're like, like I'll race you. You're like, pick up the pace, woman. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, fuck you. One foot off the ground at all times. <laughs> yeah, I do it. It sounds fun. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'd like to see that. Do you have one for me? So you get to be 100% able-bodied. Okay. Deal. Thanks, everyone. Great episode. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> see you next week. <laughs>